This is Ozarks at Large. The vast majority of Americans don't use Twitter, but thanks to its popularity among politicians and the media, the social media platform is talked about a lot. In April of 2022, billionaire Elon Musk made an offer to buy Twitter, and after months of back and forth, the $44 billion purchase was complete on October 27th. Since then, Musk has laid off a significant amount of the company's staff, said that government officials and news outlets would be required to pay a monthly fee to keep their blue checkmark verification, and allowed former President Donald Trump back on the platform. On November 17th, Musk offered an ultimatum to the remaining employees, pledged to work longer hours and be extremely hardcore or resign with three months severance. When the deadline came the next evening, hundreds of employees took the latter. The end seemed inevitable that evening and certainly left me wondering how my work would look different if Twitter crumbled into an unusable service. I wasn't the only one wondering about this on Arkansas Twitter. Matt Campbell, better known as at Blue Hog Report on Twitter, was a bit surprised by the speed of the crumbling. I I didn't think it would sort of go so poorly so quickly. I like everything that's happened is kind of I think the the sort of crumbling path I expected it to go down. But I thought we were looking at more of like, you know a six month timeline and not you know, two or three weeks. And all of a sudden, there's nobody working there, and you know things aren't working. Blue Hog Report is an independent blog run by Campbell who recently led the reporting on the relationship between Little Rock Mayor Frank Scott Jr. and his former chief of staff, which led to the eventual cancellation of LitFest just days before it was supposed to occur. Campbell says talking about it on Twitter helped him report it more than anything. It also it seemed to, to drive a lot more information coming back to me from people that you know, I hadn't talked to before but had seen some of these stories and you know, had an addi- had additional context or insight that they could offer. I've never really seen that before with a story, especially one that sort of developed so quickly, you know, in real time. It seemed like any time I post anything about it, whether it was a link to a story I'd done or just a tweet about it, that was really getting you know, not just likes or or retweets, but actual you know DMs and uh, replies and stuff. So that was interesting. Jenny Diaz is the executive director of at Four AR People a grassroots organization that focuses on legislative accountability. She says Twitter is the heartbeat of how her organization communicates, especially during legislative sessions and committee meetings. You know, regular people who have jobs, they can't drive to the Capitol and sit in on all these committee meetings and keep up with all these bills that get filed. But we do that. And one way that really the the only way that we're able to communicate that in real time for people to be able to stay engaged in that process as it's happening in real time is through Twitter. When were you first concerned about how quickly Twitter would would crash um, upon Elon's uh, purchase of the platform? Well, I, I wasn't necessarily concerned for a crash um, when, when Musk first kind of invaded, uh, brought the sink in, if you will. You know, I think like other people who have used the platform for public service functions, I think we we all were 
concerned about misinformation and what would happen if, you know, some of these policies were loosened and certain, you know, suspended accounts were reinstated. So there was, there was concern on that end, but I don't, I had not considered the platform just going completely dark. And so I think that that was what a lot of people felt um, when we, you know, heard anecdotal reports of staff being laid off and the masses and, you know, people's badges not working and not being able to get in and the whole communications department being down and um, all of these different factors. And it was kind of like, okay, nobody really knows what's going to happen. And there was generally speaking, widespread panic and fear that the site would just crumble. And, you know, that got us thinking about some alternatives and what we would do. And, you know, I, (laughs) I, I don't know what we'll do. Honestly, I, I hope it, I hope they can, can write the ship. One of the things that I find personally enjoyable about Twitter is I'm able to uh, feed the multifaceted levels of my life that like, yes, I'm very invested in Arkansas politics and national politics, but I'm also a huge Boston Celtics fan. And it's a way for me to kind of keep up with uh, sports or it's a way for me to keep up with hobbies that I have that I don't necessarily need to tweet incessantly about, but I can find other people who do. Uh, Do you find that you will miss that side of things when you think about, you know, outside of your professional life, your personal life? Will you, will you miss elements of what you found on Twitter that you've had a hard time replicating in other spaces? Absolutely. Outside of the, the hashtag ARPX, which is what we use for, you know, politics in the state here. I am a big fan of hashtag WPS, Suey. So I'm Andrew Hutchinson, and I'm the managing editor at bestofarkansasports.com. At NWA Hutch may not put hashtag WPS in every one of his tweets, but he's a must-follow for Razorback sports fans on the app. During his time in journalism school at the U of A, a professor required students to create a professional Twitter account to do reporting for that class. So I created a, a new account, a professional account, did the project. I was like, you know what, let's just keep this account and uh, use it for my professional duties. And that was, I think, September of 2013. So it's been a little over nine years that I've had the current account that I have and uh, been been covering the Razorbacks with it ever since. I wonder if if your career would look like it does without your presence on Twitter. That's a great question and something I kind of found myself pondering last night as I've seen all the news about Twitter's uh, not-so-great future, it looks like. And I was like, man, I don't know what – I mean, it, I, I don't want to say like I'm, I'm famous or anything like that, but I'm kind of a well-known person, and I think that's because I was, I've been so active on Twitter. Hutchinson has more than 17,000 followers on the app and has become a trusted source, especially around recruiting in both football and basketball for the Razorbacks. You said in, a, in an email to me, you said, I have no idea how the hell I'd cover recruiting without Twitter. Can you talk more about what you mean by that? It's helped the recruiting industry and the fact that, you know, all these recruits, they'll post when they get offered by Arkansas or Alabama or something like that. And you know, they, they put it out there for everybody to see. And so you're able to keep track of this. You're able to keep track of, you know, which coaches are following which recruits. The coaches aren't publicly 
you know, communicating with these recruits, but you can look at who, who say Sam Pittman is following on Twitter and you go, okay, well, if he's following that recruit, then Arkansas must be interested in them. And, you know, kind of following the breadcrumbs. What's best case scenario for you when we look at the inevitable demise of Twitter? Best case, I think, is just... Matt Campbell of Blue Hog Report again here. Yeah, assuming that Twitter goes completely complete, then I guess, you know, I think best case scenario is we all kind of figure out what which one we're going to go to and migrate that way, even if it's, you know, narrow down to just a couple and sort of see what, what everybody prefers, I guess. You just use the other outlets. You know, I might start posting things on Instagram, even though I hate it. (laughs) You'll use whatever tools you have to get it out there, I suppose. What do you hope happens with Twitter? (laughs) I don't know. Um, I really don't. I've I've been kind of keeping up with it. Like, obviously, I'm trying to still work and do my normal stuff while also keeping keeping a little bit of an eye on it. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if it just kind of it dies a slow death. Jenny, if you had a chance to sit down with Elon Musk and have a conversation with him to convince him to make a few adjustments, what would you what would you say to him? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, I have never I haven't thought of that. Um, I think I would just try to appeal to whatever sense of pragmatism he may have. And it, this this sounds very cheesy, but the adage of you know with great power comes great responsibility. And I think that. A system like Twitter, it it can't be a free-for-all. Like, we have guardrails in place for a reason. We have guardrails on our First Amendment rights to free speech for a reason. It does not mean you can say and do anything that you want. There are restrictions, and they're there for a reason. And it's to protect vulnerable communities, and it's to protect systems and institutions like our functioning democracy. Um, It's there for a reason. And it's not... (laughs) I almost want to talk to him like I would talk to my children, my elementary age children. It's like, okay, we we have to be reasonable. We have to be practical here. Doesn't just mean we can do whatever we want, you know. And and sometimes I feel like he he's being immature with his decision making and wants to kind of burn it all down. And hopefully he's able to to reel that back in. So I would just I would encourage some some deep breathing <laughs> and some, you know, stewing with our feelings and we can have feelings and we can have reactions, but that doesn't mean we do what our, our bodies and our minds say we want to do all the time. We have to, we have to check, we have to check those a lot of times and uh, be sensible. So I don't know if he, if he would have ears to hear that, but that's probably the approach I would take. <laughs> For Ozarks at Large, I'm at Matthew Armore.